Hello, and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond. I've read every book in the main series. However, my co-hosts are reading the series for the first time. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hello. And uh, our producer, AJ Falari, is with us. How are the levels looking? The levels are looking good. My chapter recall is kind of spotty. It's been a few weeks. <laughs> It's gonna be, it's gonna be all right, buddy. It's gonna be all right. And finally, he's been shorn from his kind. It's uh, Joshua Dean Baker. My crimes were unspeakable, <laughs> but also kept somewhat vague. Because <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, you know, they're. Uh, I can't talk about them. Yeah. That nickname for Josh came to us from Anthony Fleming. So uh, thank you for supporting the show, and also shout out to Vishnu and uh, Josh. Yeah, Vishnu and Josh, who who passed the ball. Uh, they are also, they were our first two, uh, $10 patrons in the ascendant tier when you get to name Josh (laughs) for the thing. Name and Josh, Uh, but yeah, good vibes, but I'm very excited to talk about these chapters. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm like having a great time with this book. I don't know where you guys are at. I like it. (laughs) All right. That was, that was a tepid response i can't tell if my enjoyment of these chapters declined because i took like a week and a half break between the first three chapters and the final chapter uh or if i just like didn't like the last chapter as much yeah mm-hmm. I, I i i'm enjoying it we we had to take a extended time to record this one i've, I've been like chomping at the bit to keep reading the book yes i, I do want to keep like reading that ago, is true so. i disagree uh <laughs> very boring well at the beginning it's annoying because like a chapter will be boring for like I don't know, 25 pages. And I'm like, oh my God. And then it starts to pick up and I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't that bad. But like, you know, I just wish it, I just wish we had a more consistent, enjoyable reading experience here, but mm. beggars mm. can't be choosers. Do you feel like it's like inconsistent between different storylines? No, I just, well, for me personally, for my personal preference, some things I obviously find to be more boring and like other things I think are more interesting. So like it was really boring the first chapter until I got to like Lestara. And then I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually interesting. So and that just Whoa. it's just an ebb and flow that just keeps happening throughout the whole four chapters. Well, I'm excited to talk about Lestara. So let's uh, let's get this show on the road. Chapter eight. The adjunct of war reviews the assembled 14th army. The sapper Cuttle joins Gamut's legion. Cuddle is a veteran of the Chain of Dogs and works with Fiddler to fool around with munitions. Munitions draw Gamut's legion into tight ranks and order. Gamut offers the sapper a command position, but he has a post in Fiddler's squad. Tavor then speaks with her fists when Captain Kenneb's adopted son Grub approaches. The orphan lifts a bone up in the shadow of the adjunct, and the entire 8th legion sees this omen. The veterans Stormy, Gessler, Cuddle, and Fiddler meet. The omen foretells a child leading the army to their deaths. Fiddler tells the story of Admiral Nock, and they agree they must swallow the omen whole if they are to deal with the bad fortune. Adjunct Tavor listens to her fist concern briefly, but then commands they will march forward and that alcohol and durhang will be confiscated from the soldiers. She goes to find her lover to Amber. Tavor leaves and her fists debate the wisdom of marching forward, speak about Grub, and speculate about to Amber. Lestariel reflects on her time as a red blade, growing up in Erlatan and then rounded up by a cult of Roshan. She was taught the skill of shadow dancing, 
and recalls a high priest Delat visiting her master Bidithal at the time, and saving Lestara from him. In the streets then, Cotillion appears and speaks to Lestara about assassinations, empires, and eventually Lestara asks how she can serve him. Pearl and Lestara meet up later, and they go to question Gessler, Stormy, and Pella. They track them down in the barracks and wake up Stormy. Together, they interrogate them about the Otatoro mines, the time on the Salanda with Felicen, and what happened at Aaron with the chain of dogs. After they go to find the Salanda and investigate the magical boat. Together, the two suspect that perhaps Felicen may have ended up overland in the middle of the rebellion. Once more, the army has made ranks for the adjunct to reveal. However, the veterans led an effort to loot small bones. Much of the army wears them as fetishes. They are to turn the omen. The adjunct suggests they should be worn uniformly and permits it. Then, Coltane's own Crow Clan arrives as volunteers. So I'd like to start here and point out one of my least favorite things about fantasy is that sometimes there's a word that in everyday life means one thing, but then you have to remember that in fantasy it means something completely different. For example, fetish. In real life, it means that, look, who knit, look, I'm not trying to yuck any yums. Maybe you like feet. Maybe you like, I don't know, leather. But in fantasy books, you have to remember that it means a small ornament that dangles from your body, typically representative of something. And it's, it's like, why the fuck do we, can we get a different word? besides fetish for that. I gotta say, Steve loves fetishes. I feel like he uses the word a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, dude, that, sorry, we cut those parts of the interviews, Peter, don't forget. <laughs> that, was that, that was much better than my joke. I was gonna say, does, would you say Steve has a fetish for fetishes? Uh, yeah. Listen, it was all there. You know, I don't think Josh gets so much credit. It was pretty obvious, you know. I don't know, you know? I don't know. Uh, anyway, thank you. so Josh, was, the, yeah. the obviously this chapter opens and we're kind of getting uh, the, 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 the armies falling in line. We're seeing the different divisions. And then we see uh, kind of adjunct Tavor. And then we also see it on the ground with Cuddle and Fiddler amongst the veterans. So how'd you feel with checking in with the Malazans bef- as they're preparing to leave? Uh, well, it was pretty interesting. Um, I feel like a lot of what we've seen to the Malazans so far is just like hyper, you know, rigor and order and uniformity and like... We're now seeing like a very raw Malazan army and what that's like. I honestly really enjoyed the, just like as a as a high school teacher. Um, sometimes the strategy is to is to wait. Um, we learned that a lot as young teachers is to wait. But like sometimes you can't wait because like someone's gonna fucking punch someone in the face. Uh, and this really felt like that. Like adjunct divorce, just like I'm waiting. You won't move on until you're in order. And that just was super duper not working. And as I really really resonated with me because I was like. At some point, you have to do something. And uh, I really thought it was interesting that, like, literally none of them did anything until Cuddle's like, what's up? I got a bomb. Here it is. And just that was the solution. I don't know. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And and we meet Cuddle here, too. Did you uh, feel anything for our new sapper? Literally nothing. Am I supposed to remember him from the second book? Or is he just an... an Okay, good, good. That's what I was hoping. I mean, he seems fine. Uh, He seems like... What if Fiddler, but I didn't have an emotional attachment to him? <laughs> sure. So, Inja, you know, we chose, uh, there was a lot of deliberation about what the art should be for this season of the show, and we went with the hand holding the bone. So now we finally see the bone holding hand with this bad omen. 
What did you make of this? And do you follow a lot of omens in your day to day life? You you would have thought that I would have recognized that you did a hand with a bone and that this would have been why I'd be like, oh, that's why they did that. But I didn't realize that. So <laughs> thank you. Well, there you go. Thank you for that connection. Why is that an omen? And no, I don't believe uh, bad omens in like life. Do they say well, or are they just like, I, oh, it is because it is? I, because, like, I have. I, didn't I, get I it. actually have the quote here. I was just looking at it. Oh, sure. Hit me yeah. for when they when they elaborate on, on what the, the omen is. A child leads us to our deaths, a leg bone to signify our march withered under the curse of the desert sun. We've all lived too long, seen too much to deceive ourselves of this one brutal truth. This army of recruits now sees themselves as already dead. That's the most stupidest thing that I've ever heard in well, my so life. Well, the, so the, the, the child signifies Tavor, right? Uh, being a child, leading them across Reriku, leading them with their legs, their leg bones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to die because they are bones. India, I, guess, I, I guess it oh. makes more sense because it would be more common in this setting. Yeah, but if that's, I yeah. was next to you, Josh, and you were like, this means we're leading to our death. The kid's holding the bone. The, that bone represents us, and the child represents Devor, and it's a leg because we're going to march. I would be like, what the fuck are you talking about, Josh? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think really, uh, once there are, one, once gods can physically manifest and are okay with meddling in human affairs, you just got to be assumed all the time that shit is like a hint at what gods are doing <laughs> or what's to come. Mm. Like, I, if I like, tried to pour my cereal in, in in this universe and like didn't have enough milk i'd be like it's a drought we gotta go <laughs> it, it just feels like they're playing pretty fast and loose with reading into it you know but mm-hmm. um, we can touch on it later i suppose because well, uh, they turn it obviously yeah i i would think that their uh their quickness to assume it's an omen is representative of how little faith they actually have in mm-hmm. yeah, I think Tavor right and the that. whole the whole march and everything and I think I think uh, soldiers in general in this in the series so far have been shown to be a pretty superstitious lot, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. Yeah, Josh, are you superstitious at all? No, I'm a little stitious, but I'm not superstitious. <laughs> Fuck you, <laughs> AJ. Cut it from the show. Cut it. <laughs> cut that. I'm just gonna bleep it out. <laughs> I really like the story Fiddler tells about the snakes in the barrel. I just think I that's didn't. good old fashioned fun. Oh yeah, that was that was a lot. Um, so Inge, after, uh, after all, ooh, actually at the end here, Tavor, uh, says everything's gonna be confiscated, and she goes off to meet to Amber, and then afterwards, like, all the other fists kind of gab about her after she leaves. So how did you, how are you feeling about the adjunct now, and how are you feeling about her commanders kind of just, like, you know, gabbing? Um, I still like the adjunct. I, I, I don't have any, con- uh, complaints about her just yet. I just think that she's, like, a lady trying to do her job, and I respect it. Um, and then as for the people gabbing at like about where she's going and who she's going with and who is this person, it's just like, don't you have anything better to do guys? (laughs) Don't you have a job to do? (laughs) And also, did we meet her lover or was that just randomly thrown in there? And I'm supposed to have just been like, oh yeah, all along she was. No, No, we haven't met it, but I think it was mentioned one or two other times that at the end of her chapter, she was going off to see Tamber. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was like, who the the hell is this person? Yeah, we we haven't met her. No. Yeah, in the I th- one of the previous chapters, to Tavor asked Pearl, I think, to to get to Amber or something. Yeah, I think she she like she. It's it's very clear that at the end of her days, she retires to go see. Right, Tamber. right, right, right. Don't we And like shout out a queer character. So um, yeah. And uh, so uh, Inge, after that, Lestara Yill 
I would say really in some ways gets a proper introduction and backstory. You know, we followed this character in Deadhouse Gates and we, we kind of go, we learn about her quest that she's kind of gets from Tavor in this. But here we learn all about her childhood, how she came to the Red Blades and how she came to the art of shadow dancing, all the stuff. And then she had Cotillion shows up and she has this whole conversation with him. And uh, it, I feel like she really pops out to me in this section so uh i wonder how you feel about her in this part and uh how you're feeling about lestar yill um yeah love her they finally gave her a plot and well he finally gave her a plot and i'm so happy about it It so interesting i have no idea i don't know if i was supposed to know that she was like a shadow dancer person or what that even really means or what like where she was or who rashad is no idea about all that which i but but it was very interesting. I don't understand how Cotillion is just like, hey, guys, I'm just like everyone else. Will you help me? And everyone's just like, seems legit. Yeah. He's, he's, just a, he's just a guy looking for help. So I loved that. I have a few questions, though, about everyone when he came to Everyone is very about. friendly. Yeah. He's, he's a charismatic guy. You were saying, sorry. No. Um, what? Okay. So as a child, she got dragged down, whatever, to go live and serve in this place then somebody was like okay no we're gonna take you and you're gonna dance but your shadow is gonna dance and she was like not that good and then the people came to see her one of them being who quick ben oh what yeah yeah his quick ben is adolphus delat shut up so yeah you're supposed to you're supposed to realize that that's quick ben or at least i i don't know maybe yeah quick ben was the one who kind of saved her as a kid no yeah you lie you lie like a persian rug (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's fantastic i did not know that i was like wondering why that name sounded like kind of familiar delat then i was like nah i don't know who that is that's no one that's relevant it's his last name and in gardens of the moon actually when you know quick ben visits shadow throne for like in his uh in the warren for one time mm-hmm. and like when he's leaving shadow throne is like ah delat he like i believe he's like doing a full damn you oh, nice, <laughs> nice, nice. I, th- I believe i could be wrong that's hilarious Okay. Is the, hey, is there like a rule about how often a sentence can just like be chilling with people? Because <laughs> I feel like, after, like I don't, like Cotillion's doing a lot of just like roaming around. He's building and an just army. Like, well, he's doing something. He's networking. You know, he's yeah. making connections, and that's important in this modern economy. You know, his LinkedIn <laughs> is fucking popping off right now. He's very into he's, LinkedIn. Yeah, it's, he. I don't understand exactly what's going on but he's just gaining the trust of everyone with his boyish charm mm-hmm. so okay then the the guy that's uh with uh shaikh now b bitathol yeah bitathol was running the cult uh and um the cult is rashan which is the human warren of darkness you know um and she was with the cult and then Quick Ben saved her from Bidithal and that cult. That whole ending to me was so confusing when she's like, and then there, and then it was over, and then they had bad ideas of what they were going to do. I, I was like, I, I just was so confused at what happened and how she got out from then on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Great. Thank you. Um, so when she says that she wants, if he, when she's asking Cotillion if he knows where Quick Ben is, is that in a good way then or a bad way? Right? Doesn't she ask him where someone is? Do you know where that person is? Guys, come on. Oh, I'm blanking. I don't no. know. Uh, I... She's looking. She asks him right before he leaves, like, do you know where I can find X, Y person? No? Uh, I vaguely uh, honestly, remember. I forget. Does she ask I about vaguely... Felison? 
No, I think she asked about QuickBit. I think that's what India said. Yeah. And I feel like she does not. I feel like she maybe doesn't. Oh, okay. yeah. Where is this Delat? Is that in a good way or a bad way? I don't know. I Peter, can't. Peter, you read the books. Fine. That's my thoughts on uh, Lestario. I love her so much. She is another female character that I adore. She, well, I really uh, have turned a big corner on her. I did not care about her at all. I know. Now, I, she yeah, was so stupid. Uh, yep. And I think it's because this section, like, I feel like makes her more, we learn more about her. So we're able to understand her more as a character. And it definitely makes me more interested in her knowing about her past with the Red Blades. You know, I think that's interesting. And to know, like, how she ended up mm-hmm. fighting for them, you know, and uh, where she is now. And I think it just, I don't know, lets you enter her character more. So, Josh, so uh, we're, it seems like we're all on board with the Star Yell a little more. But then she and Pearl kind of go on a little adventure thing and they do a little whole little sleuthing time together. Um, so how did you feel kind of seeing her and Pearl kind of hear secondhand a lot of stuff we saw firsthand? And where do you think their uh, mission to go find Felicent is going to take them? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, the information they have is like, is very little, right? I mean, they know that probably somewhere in the middle of the desert they got dropped off out of the Warren of Fire uh i i don't know how much they're gonna find as far as evidence you know what i mean because like if i remember correctly the three of them got dropped out uh they got attacked by something before both oh they got attacked by that fucking dude and his zombies yeah they got attacked Uh, by divers uh yeah yeah yeah, the divers guy and then so like i mean barring them barring these two magically finding that the remnants of that camp I don't really know what physical evidence they're going to have, you know what I mean? I would say it's probably more likely that they're going to slowly uncover that Felicent is Shaikh reborn. You know, they're going to be like, we're looking for a girl that looks like this, this, this. And they're going to be like, you mean Shaikh? She's in Raraku, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, the goddess reborn. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, a, that's my people of the desert voice. Interesting. And right now. What do you think, like, do you, do you, like, where do you think, I'm just so curious, where, what, like, where do you think this is, that's going, though? So they get out to the desert. Oh, man, I, dude, I don't know, I didn't, I haven't read the fucking book yet. <laughs> I know, you just know the some answer. wild speculation on record. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. All right, so then at the end, uh, in, India, uh, India, I did find that section. I, without a full reread of that entire section, I don't know how she's saying that. I feel like she. Was I think she's grateful. curious. I think she. I think she's curious. I think she wants to meet the person that saved her. Mm. But I'm not 100. percent So at the very end of this chapter, uh, the army all uh, has dug up various uh, finger bones and small bones that have adorned themselves with the fetishes, <laughs> and uh, then Tavor kind of approves of it in a way, and uh, we hear a little bit more about reinforcements. So. Um, AJ, how are you feeling overall about it? I know technically, I think they leave in chapter 11 um but uh how are you feeling about the state of this army as they're going to go march out in the desert i think they're more organized than they were uh previously which i think was obvious but i think them showing i don't know i think the finger bones kind of shows a willingness to like to actually be a cohesive unit you know um as opposed to just like being forced to do this shitty (laughs) trek across the desert (laughs) Um, mm. but I don't know, man, I, I, I don't think they're prepared. <laughs> like, I, I, I think it's, uh, tough for them to be prepared just because they don't really know kind of what they're up against completely, I suppose. Before we move on to talk about Kalam, Cutter, and Troll, we just want to take a moment to thank everyone who's backed us on Patreon since we last recorded. 
it, it's very flattering and uh we just want to shout everyone out and and uh thank everyone for the support so <coughs> let's get her started <coughs> A huge thank you to Maddie, Titeel, Sandra, Roberto, Tim, Morden, Michael, Siandric, Chris, Harrison, and JB. Thank you to Steven, Dimitri, Jay, Scott, Mojo DL, Pratik, Todd, Benoit, Ryan, Kjartan, and Ole. Also, thank you to Peter, Tracy, uh, one moment I have to switch to page two, which is a crazy sentence, uh, Pete, Mallory, Karen, Joshua, <laughs> Dylan, Amira, Scott, Matthew, Sandra, M, Nick, Daniel, Daniel L, Robert, Zayas, uh, Marashti, Jerry, Katie, and Logan. Shouts out to my boy Jerry, my dungeon master. You, you the real one. Nice. Jerry supporting us. DM up in the house. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we're now at 68 <laughs> backers uh, in just about two weeks which is truly, truly wild. Uh, It's very flattering and it makes me feel bad because the way we record this show, this episode won't come out for like a month, five, six weeks or something. (laughs) So it's very asynchronous. There's not a a very... It's it's kind of weird in a way. Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, Sorry if you've been waiting a long time for your your thank, but I mean, say la vie, you know? But thank Uh, you. Yes, thank you so... Yeah, thank you so, so much. Uh, at time of recording, we're at $232 a month. Uh, and it, it's wild. It, it's it's just so humbling and makes makes me feel great personally that we have Nothing such a... like that external validation. Well, we just have, we have such a wonderful community and it's so great to uh, that people are, are willing to come out and give us money and we really... We'll never be able to thank you enough, truly. 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 Now, let's keep talking... <laughs> Chapter 9. Let's keep the ball mowing. Chapter 9. In Gadanispan, Kalam speaks of a new unaligned card and the House of Chains. Afterwards, he buys an ensorcelled dagger and follows a rumor of Malazan's holed up in the mountain fortress of Burdus. He travels towards the fortress thinking of the rebellion's strategies. Mid-morning, he arrives at the besieged camp. He learns that holed up inside the fortress is the Ashok Regiment, who have returned to Seven Cities from Ganabakas. He speaks more to the Captain Uriz about the situation. He meets the linchpin to break into the fortress, a young mage named Sin. They argue a bit about Kalam and the rebellion. He also hears that Captain Kindly leads the defending Malazans. That night, he goes to try and sneak into the fort, but finds Sin. The young mage trained under Fael, but the high mage killed her parents and tried to hunt her down, and now she comes to find her half-brother who is amongst the Malazans. Sin has poisoned the camp's water, and some rebels are slowly dying by it. Kalam then goes and takes Sin to join the Malazans. Kalam blows a whistle gifted to him from Cotillion, and he conjures a demon from Shadow. The demon goes out and captures the rebel Captain Uriz, and then they all retreat to the mountain fortress. Glom introduces himself to Captain Kindly's squad, and he goes further in to meet the Ashok Regiment. Cutter and Absalar sail towards the island of Drift Avali. The island moves and is covered by strange clouds. Cutter thinks about Absalar and her relationship with Cotillion, and then speaks to her about the Tist Andy that are said to inhabit the island. They get closer, and the boat is wrecked. 
Cutter washes up on shore alone and meets an old Tisty Andy going by Darist. Darist says Absalar probably drowned and interrogates Cutter about why he is here and if he serves Animander Rake. They also speak of the Throne of Shadow, the Tist Eater, and the Tist Andy here on the island. Darist finally says it is only him here where the throne is, but soon they will have company. In the nascent, Onra Control speak of the Hounds of Shadows, the First Empire, and what it means to create a statue. As they walk through these massive statues, Onrak breaks a pillar. Two hounds attack them, hounds of darkness. Onrak's arm is shattered, and the Talani mass is broken. His vow is ripped from him, and he cannot heal himself. Onrak control continue on. The Talani mass speaks of what his people do with broken Talani mass. Further on, they find a strange portal. They use munitions to shatter the magic of it, and four Tist Theosian emerge. They wear light and serve the hero Osric. They speak dismissively to Onrak and Troll about the Tist Andy, the Eater, and Purity. The conversation eventually leads to drawing swords. But before it comes to blows, four Talani Mass emerge, led by the Bonecaster Monarch. The Bonecaster says they are all trapped in a fragment of Corald Amerlin, and that they will have to find a way out together. Kalam has arrived at Seven Cities, and he like buys all this stuff. He goes to this fortress, and he meets all these people, and it feels like his adventure is really starting in earnest. So how did you feel about this? And it's a big chunk. How did you feel about this big... Uh, kind of chunk of adventure that Kalam goes on that ends up with him ending up with the Malazans inside this fortress. Where was Kalam? He was with his family and then he went on and then he left and now he's here. Correct. Yeah, he was in the Warren of Shadow. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Um, this whole part was just super random to me. I don't... Did he know he was going here when he got here? Whatever. And then he finds... What I, I didn't think that they were Malazan people that he found. I thought he found anti-Malazan people, but then... So, well, he finds okay. besieging anti-Malazan people and then ends up infiltrating the Malazan encampment they are besieging and ends so, up with the Ashok regiment. So, India, do you remember how in in the camp with Shake right now, there's that Corbel Dom guy? Yeah. And he, he is a renegade Malazan general. Oh. So, these people who are anti-Malazan are Malazan forces under Corbelo Dom, who broke off because shit was hard under him and he was a little crazy and he, you know, crucified all those people. So they were like, we're done with that. We're going to go over here. And they're hunting down the other half of their unit who is loyal to Malazan slash they just kind of fucking hate the captain. He's the captain that captured Karsa way back in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Like, these are the guys that had him on the ship forever. That we're with now or that we're trying to... So the ones that they're trying to kill, who, who Kalam gets to, yeah. those are the people who captured uh, Karsa and were with him briefly on the ship. So, Sin Poisoned, good people or bad people? Bad people. Well, I mean, what's good and well, bad, you know? Yeah, I don't know, mate. So the people that Sin Poisoned, yeah. originally Malazan, yeah. now fighting against Malazan okay. under the general idea, but they're kind of shitty because they do admit they're going to like fucking like torture kindly to death. Yes, I did see that. Like, oh no, we got to take them alive. Ha ha ha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't seem like great people. <laughs> okay. And so, okay. that may, All right. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I don't. What is his end game? 
Kalam. We don't know. He was we given an unknown quest by Cotillion. This is freaking... Oh, this part... And he's... Yeah. I didn't think it was confusing until you just asked me about it. <laughs> so... Can I, can I ask real quick, like jumping like two paragraphs ahead, but still in the same area, Peter? Sure. Did the the people that he gets up to, you know, like the Ashok regiment, who's like, I guess good. Did they throw Captain Kindly down a pit? Yeah. The well. In Defo sound, they were like, lots of pits down here. Shame he fell. Hmm. But like, it is it is noted that he is an asshole to everybody. So like, did they just kill him? It's going to be looped around on. So I'm le- I'm going to leave. OK, that. OK. I'm glad you also picked up on that in India. I was like, am I crazy? Yeah, no, that made, they were like, people die here so Inge, or fall in And you mentioned her. Kalam meets Sin here and she kind of uh, is introduced to us. How'd you feel about Sin and kind of her role in uh, emerging into his story? It was a little tricky, a little tricksy, um, because at first nice I didn't Lord of the realize that <laughs> you got me. Um, yeah, because at first you think that she's just like along with everyone and then you find out like actually, no, she has her entire own agenda and is going and is like kind of a badass on her own just doing shit and like, well, let's it's going to work. So we're going to do it. So I like her. Yeah. I think she's interesting. A little crazy. You don't just poison a ton of people without really like and it, it seemed like she really didn't know what it was going to do either she was like yeah i just kind of did it i threw it in there yeah like i, I don't how much i i don't know all of it so um, she seems, an amount it'll yeah, be bad exactly i think she seems fun i hope that we get to um i don't know i hope that her and kalam become like another one of these infamous freaking duos that are all over this book because i feel <laughs> like they balance each other out he seems a bit more like which I don't know how I'm actually saying this, but he seems in, in, in this kind of particular duo to be more tactical. And she hmm. just is like, fuck it, let's what do a, it. I got this poison. <laughs> They're going to die. How? <sighs> so here's that. I, I, I like their union and... Um, I think they're going to be fun. I'm excited to see if they stick together or if she just goes off on her own. So, Josh, I have a very hard-hitting question for you. Our last demon companion, Apt, is a beloved character for me, you know? Yes, yes. And in, in this chapter, Kalam summons another demon. Um, mm-hmm. How did you feel this demon lived up to the high demon bar? Well, I'll say that this demon was very, very cool in the way it was described. I mean, it just sounded like a demon assassin, like it had multiple arms and I think multiple swords, maybe. Also um, had multiple penises worth bringing up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I miss, multiple I think penises, I, I, two penises. Talk about fetishes, am I right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'll say in terms of like, you know, art direction and kind of general vibe, I mean, he did slaughter that whole camp in the span of like two screams. <laughs> also, camp for one crazy. dude. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is cool. Yeah, I'll say like, I'll say, like, his badass, like, level, it's a solid, like, 9.2, right? Mm. In terms of, like, conversationalist, I don't know if I'm going to get the same kind of deal as with Apt. Apt would just give a look with his one eye, and it spoke a thousand words. And I don't know if New Demon's going to give me that. Apt is a her. Apt is a her, Josh, Apt please. Apt her. Sorry, sorry. You are correct. And, okay, so, but more seriously, how'd you feel about this whole sequence, meeting Sin, having Kalam kind of start this journey, and him ending up within this mountain fortress? I think, um, I think one of my, my, what I got out of this is that, um, Kalam has hit this point of competence where I think he's about to just be let down by everyone he ever (laughs) tries to interact and work with. Cause this whole chapter is him being like, all right, I'll do this, 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 and this, and I'll meet all these people and be great. And he's like, oh, this Sim girl's on my side. Great. Ah, she's super poisoned a bunch of people. 
Okay. Uh, oh, she was going to be able to break in. Oh, it was, she was going to use an illusion. Okay, and she's not even sure she can pull the illusion off. Okay. I got the Captain Kindly. Uh, he, he's dead. And who's left? Someone I've never heard of. Great. Like, I just feel like he's so confident and he's just going to be let down over and over again by these people. Mm. Um, so I, and do I you always... Have, do you have any thought about what he could be doing here on Seven Cities? Zero, zero clue. Mm. Um, I would say, I, I do want to point out that the most interesting thing to me about this whole chapter was these fucking daggers he got at the beginning. Mm. They love, love me some magic weapons that have an unknown origin. Um, mm. I, I hope it'll come up and he'll figure out what it is and, you know, why they were invested with magic. Seems pretty cool. Um, I, but uh, yeah, I have no guesses as to what Kalam's doing. He, he's keeping it close to the chest. Well, I guess we'll have to find out. Let's keep oh. things moving. Pause. Across the sea. Pause. Sorry. Oh, sorry. He's a hundred percent gonna at some point cross paths with with Pearl and Lestari Yale, though. They're they're probably both gonna end up fucking going to Raraku or some dumb bullshit, and then like their targets won't be there, but they'll find each other and like fucking fight or something dumb. Hmm. That's my that's my that's my guess. Well, I guess we'll see. Let's go across the sea to the moving island of Drift of Vale, India. So when uh, Cutter washes ashore. Well, first he's on this boat, and I'm, I, I kind of love him thinking about Apslar, because I feel like in this moment, Cutter's really, like, excited about his new identity and, like, being like, I'm a murder man, now, you know. And then he's, he's like, oh, I don't know, Apslar, she's so good at murder, but maybe she doesn't like it. It's like he, it's like the first time he's ever had a thought about what her <laughs> interiority may be like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it seems somewhat out of touch to me, but also, he washes ashore, he meets... This mysterious Tistandy, Darist, and Darist is like, oh, yeah, she's probably dead. And then they have a whole long conversation where he is very accusatory. What did you make all this? Do you think Absalar's dead? And what do you think's going on with this dude? Um, no, Absalar's not dead. And I thought, so as always, I'm confused because of where they are. So this place belongs is where the Throne of Shadow is, and it is being protected, I thought, by multiple people, only to find out that there's only one left. Right or wrong? It's just this dude. No, you got it. Okay. So is it, and so it's confirmed? I thought I thought there's going to be like something like he's just like an idiot and there's more or something. Well, I, I agree. It's a little mysterious. I, we will learn more. That's not the whole pie, but that's oh, okay. the okay. gist, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so then, so now he's here. And what? Why? What was he? What were they going to this place? This is just for the cotillion sent them. It's just another cotillion quest. This is so stupid. <laughs> um, I mean, I I don't really get this whole Tisty Eater, Tisty Andy thing yet. I don't under like. I don't really like. They they're not friends. Correct. They like yeah, they fight no. each other yeah, yeah, yeah. and they did they yeah. kill everyone. Did they kill all the people that were here? Assumedly, like, was there like, uh, a, oh, I did, is that I, what I he th- said? Didn't he say that they were like up there? I don't know where up there uh, is. I, th- I, I think you're perfectly fine with feeling a little confused about their current state. So I, I think I, I don't know if I need to clarify it. AJ, why don't you jump in? Uh, so I think I think what's helped me think about these uh, the different tist people uh, is it's just straight up just racism, right? There's the Tistandi, which are of shadow, right? Or of dark, rather. Dark. Eater yeah. is of shadow. Eater is of shadow. And then the Leosian are of light. And the Leosian uh, of light look down on shadow and Andy, or uh, uh, Eater and Andy. 
and I don't know. <laughs> so that's just kind of how I've been thinking about it. It's just like one is it, it's dark shadow and light. And yeah, and they're, Pete, you, it's it. They're sibling races. Yeah. Like yes, they come from. The, they all yeah, come from from mother, mother, dark and father light. Yeah. Yeah. And so and I think the I think the racism analogs made most clear when we meet the Leosian later yes. on and they're being yes. super puritanical and, and very explicitly xenophobic. Mm hmm. The thing is, we're going to have a lot of t we're going to have time to learn more about it. So I, I, I think their clarity will come. So I, I think it'll come. Josh, where how did you feel about Darist and, and uh, this this island? And he's very accusatory about if Animander rakes Cutter, you know, and he's asking a lot of questions about why he's there and his relationship to other Tist Andy. Mm hmm. I mean, I think the dude's just kind of off his rocker. Like, if, if all the other Atisti Andy here died for whatever reason, and he's just been here for, like, hundreds of years on his own, like, I, I think he's just, like, lost it. Mm. That's my guess. I don't really know. It's going to be hard to say. Like, if you know, we don't know if, like, these events he's talking about happened ages ago or are currently happening. No. He's, yeah. Well, and then finally, Josh, uh, we, we check in with Onrak and Troll. And this duo wandering through the nascent together, they uh, they they have an awesome conversation about statues and what it means to worship the, the statue and put it into form. Yeah. Love that conversation. It, well, it works they, really it, well because like literally the next chapter starts off with Carson making statues. Ugh, exactly. Yeah, there's some thematic good, yeah. connection, right? Um, and then of course there's uh, they get attacked. On rack gets broken, and then there's uh, yeah. there's all this stuff. So what you, what you make all this and uh, seeing more of this duo? Well, interesting. So first off. When the two dogs initially attacked, I found I found it very interesting that they were classified as hounds of darkness specifically, because mm. now that has me wondering: Are there hounds of darkness and hounds of light in addition to the hounds of shadow that we already know? Like, are there three different? You know, gotta catch them all. I, I need to meet all these good good boys and girls. Uh, <laughs> I I was you know that was interesting to me. I I feel like Tool and Onrak are you know they're very similar and they're both clanless and you know they they've been ripped from other people. But like Onrak is so much more of a fucking downer about it, man. <laughs> He's like, leave me be. I've broken. What can I do for you? Nothing. Why leave. is he like, but why can't he be? Why is he broken? He, he's like, he like broke his vow or, or left his clan or something. And like this whole race, their whole fucking thing is honor and being bound by the honor of fighting these Jaghut. And like, I guess when you break from that honor, like some of them, like the magic that keeps you alive forever as a bone man doesn't go away, <laughs> but like the magic that can like heal you or like send you on seems to kind of, just, or may, or maybe it's just that it does, it could work, but his, you know, the, the low gross talent mass would just be like, no, fuck you and wouldn't help him. It's, I don't really know just yet. Yeah. Honestly, I think my reading's a little different, but I'm not a hundred percent clear on specifically why this incident caused it. But yeah. I, I, I do think you could be a little wrong. I would actually love some clarification. We should seek it out after this recording. Sounds good. Um, um, but I thought that was cool. The I did not expect the portal to break open and then there to be just like magical, you know, high elves, yeah. I guess is how I would describe them. I mean, they're like, it's so on the nose that they are just like every every fantasy depiction of like golden haired, pure of skin, you know. Yeah, the closest we but get to also, Lord of the Rings elves. Yeah, but also he, uh, Steve really doubled down on like them being haughty assholes, yeah. which is like a lot of the time elves are in other fantasy books. But this one, Steve's just like, yeah, they fucking suck, dude. <laughs> like he's he's not letting it be any, you know, wishy-washy there. Also, I, I texted this to Pete. Uh, Steve is really, really into sneaking in, you know, future fucking book titles in. So 
in this one, he was, he like casually is like, uh, the time asked that we meet are just like, we've got more hunting or something. And I'm like, oh, oh I guess I know what bone hunters are now. Cool. <laughs> we've That's got like more bones seven. to hunt. Yeah, we've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, I was like, we got bone hunters. We did it. Yeah, but I thought it was cool. I really thought and we were going to get a really cool fight, but. Yeah, and then at the end, it seems like they're all going to try and, uh, wiggle their way out of their warren together. Um, Aj, so out of this uh, section, we kind of touch in with three different storylines that are all kind of the, the, these these storylines are really separate from the Seven Cities Malazan Rebels conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, wh- wh- which of these st- stood out to you, and what, wh- which one did you feel drawn to during this part? Uh, I think it's interesting because they all have what I love about a, a lot of Memories of Ice is like, or, or just, I mean, my favorite parts of a lot of these books or, or <laughs> these these two books are the buddy parts where it's just like two people hanging out, having a good time, and like that is this whole chapter, and it's great. Um, mm. But I think my favorite duo currently is Onrak and Troll. Um, I just really love the dynamic. Uh, I'm 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 here for that broody Talanim ass shit. The, <laughs> the you know you can't do anything to help me. I'm blah. but they also when they first interacted and and Onrak freed Troll like that was a great a great moment and there was some like light chuckle light chuckles in that section and and uh i don't know i'm just looking forward to the future of their uh interaction i guess with that said let's keep things moving and check in with the whirlwind chapter 10 in raraku karsa carves statues of the tebelor gods and thinks on bareth and delum karsa regrets carving the statues of the gods and then leoman joins him Leoman will ride with the Dog Slayers to contest Tavor's march towards Raraku, nipping at her heels but not meeting her in full battle. They then speak of loyalty and cruelty. Aborg speaks with the High Mages and Shaikh about the House of Chains. Each High Mage offers a few different thoughts, and Shaikh re-examines the strange new unaligned card that has entered the deck. They theorize about its strange look and its opposition to the House of Chains. Afterwards, Felicin Younger says she wants to venture out of the camp with Haborak, that the old man must leave for his own safety. Karsa and Leoman's conversation continues, now about the wild horses of the Jag Odan. Karsa decides he will go to find himself a horse big enough for the Teblor to ride, and will ask Shaikh for permission to go. After Leoman leaves, Urugal's statue awakens and Karsa holds a contentious conversation with the gods. They speak of chains together and freedom. Karsa then speaks to Bareth and Delum statues, and they make silent peace together. Karsa vows to both his friends and to Urugal. Loric finds Haboric and they speak of the other high mages and of the rebellion. Lorik offers to share what he knows about the Jade Statues to hear about the House of Chains. First, they speak of the Tisti, their Warrens, and tyranny amongst the Tisti races. After, Haboric shares that the unaligned card is a bridge burner, and that the bridge burner has received a song from a Tano spirit walker that is yet to be fulfilled. Lorik says then that the Jade Statues are intruders from another realm, arriving wrapped in Otataral and Haborik then listens to Lorik's last thoughts. Later, Leoman and Karsa say goodbye, and the two companions go their separate ways. Amongst the dog slayers, Camus Relo speaks to Corblo Dom about Karsa's departure, and they worry about Haborik. 
The two discuss their self-serving plan to use the Seven Cities Rebellion to kill Lassine and ascend to the Imperial Throne. So we're back in Rauruku, and Karsa and Leoman ha- have have several conversations throughout the chapter, and we learn about their them going their two different ways. Leoman's going to set on the desert to uh, try and harass the adjunct's army, and Karsa's going to go on his own quest to the Jagodan. And he also uh, makes amends with these statues. He talks to Uragal. So how did you feel about uh, checking in with and learning about what Karsa and Leoman are going to be doing? So... Actually, this chapter, I think, for me, was the most difficult to understand. Um, Hmm. Just because it just seemed, it feels so, like, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but it just, every trying to grasp everything that they're saying was, like, and, like, understand it was, like, really difficult. Um, But as for Karsa and Leoman going their separate ways, I don't understand why, like, Leoman is going. I don't know if that was clear to anyone else. Or what he was doing. So that was confusing. I don't know why anyone... Like, I'm just confused as to where the story is going now, I think. Because I thought that everybody was going to gather here at the at this whirlwind location desert thing. But if, if, if they're... Are, like, if they're leaving, how is that gonna... Are they yeah. coming? Like, what? I just don't understand. I'm having trouble, like, understanding why as I... Like, like contextualizing it in the big picture yeah. of the book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I'm with India, because to me, it felt like, at best, the only reason I could see for Leoman's choice is that he was fucking bored. Like, like he, like he, his I think his reasoning is that, like, we should, we must harass them on the way so they're weakened. But it's really just like, I mean, you have a great, no, actually, you don't need to do that. That's just kind of like a waste of ammo and, like, probably troops' lives. And then Carson was like, that's a great idea. I shall join you, but I don't have a horse. What if I go across the continent to <laughs> get a horse so that I can ride back and join you. <laughs> like the only th- the only way this makes sense, and Peter, you might be able to tell me this, is like is like I, I guess my issue with it is how long of a march do the Malazians even have to get to Raraku? Like if they like if they're only going to take two weeks to get through, I don't see how Karsa walks across the continent, gets a horse, and comes back. But is it longer? Like, is it going to be like two months of marching through the desert? If so, then I, I guess I kind of get not wanting to wait around the whole time. But I, I don't know. I was having trouble with it too, India. Yeah. And Urgal, he's the the god, mm-hmm. the head god. Yeah, he's the one who speaks most often. Yeah. Okay. He seems like kind of an asshole. Before we move on to Borakinj, I at least want to mention that he speaks to Bareth and Delum in statue form uh, before he leaves and for his horse journey. Did I did uh, I kind of like that scene? Did it did it did it mean anything to you, or how did how'd you feel? Um, is it wrong of me to say no? It just seems like no. How much do we have to like redeem characters here? Like, can he just be like? Can't we just be like over it? Like, okay, he's not a bad guy anymore. Like, why do we have to do this whole? Well, let the record show. I never thought he was a bad guy because he was a bad friend. Him being a bad friend is amongst his lesser No, friends. I know. Yeah. But like, why do we need to do this then? Like, okay, we get it. Why do we have to make the statues and play the martyr and be like, well, and then the guy's like, well, these statues are so stupid. Why are you making these statues? India, India, my only, my only thought is that he must be pretty goddamn important for us to be spending that much time in his interpersonal turmoils. <laughs> like, he's got to have some big fucking part to play. And we have to, and we need the, we need some emotional impact because like, he's, yeah, 
re- like like thinking of it from how books work, I guess he's gonna <laughs> die. And like I, 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 as the reader, need to need that to be a big impact. And so he needs to reconcile with his friends. I loved it. I mean, I, at this point, I would be bummed if Carsa died, but I would not be like irreconcilable like I was with fucking Whiskey Jack. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Can I? No, sorry. Inconsolable. That's the right I wanted. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say, I thought it was in the, in the very beginning of this chapter when uh, Carson and Leoman are talking, I thought it was interesting when Carsa was voicing his concerns about Shaikh really just being Felicin and like yeah. how, you know, how much is she really reborn and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that Carsa is now it's kind of the shoe is on the other foot where Carsa is now the one who has doubts about his, you know, their God or whatever. Uh, where in the mm-hmm. beginning of the book, it was Bayroth and Delum who were like, well, I don't know, Carsa. And Carsa was like, no, we're doing it. Um, but now mm. we've kind of switched places where Carsa is the one who's skeptical. And Leoman is like, the, no, it doesn't matter what she was before she was Shaikh. She is Shaikh now. Uh, and Carsa's like, yeah, OK, <laughs> sure. Um, I just thought that was some some interesting uh, character development. I, I agree. I think it's an interesting parallel, especially the beginning, as you said. But for me, I, I thought it was an interesting almost reversal of earlier on in book two. They were there was a conversation. I forget. A, I think it was between Carson about how about entertaining the idea of the whirlwind using Felicent, you know, and that she is kind of a prop or a puppet in some way, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it was this conversation that ma- that I felt like was almost entertaining this reverse idea that you're talking about, you know, about whether whether Felicin is playing the whirlwind. I mean, whether she is like playing all these rebel people, you know? So I thought it was kind of interesting to reflect, have both ideas be reflected because in some ways she has like conned and deceived all these people, Mm -hmm. you know, like she is like fully conned herself into a power position, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Josh, aside from the Carsa stuff in this chapter, we uh, talk a lot about Haboric and first he's uh, seeing a kind of council scene all about the, House of Chains and some other deck of dragon stuff we mostly know about. But then he has this conversation with the High Mage Loric, where we learn a lot about these jade statues and kind of weird Haboric dream stuff and Tist stuff. So how did all of this weird exposition hit you and how much of it did you grasp? I will say that I have said this phrase at least once every book. And the phrase is, I understand that this is pivotal information and it is infuriating because I have no fucking clue what it has to do with anything or how to interpret it or the larger ramifications. I got, I got, have nothing. Like they were like the Jade statues come from another world. Okay. What, what other world? I, I don't know. Like best I got, the only thing I could think of is that I know that, uh, the, the chain God came from another world too. Or is that related? Like, I got nothing. Like, that's the only other world I've heard of is that, like, the chain god came from one. I, I, it was a lot. I, I, the Tano Spirit Walker, I remember that from book two. I remember thinking it would be a huge thing that would be used at a pivotal moment in book two, and then it didn't. So I forgot about it until they mentioned that. Well, and he, they're like, Fiddler uses the Tano Spirit Walker shell. That he that's uses right. That. He uses that. Yeah, yeah. But I, and so, like, to find out that a song has been begun and it has to be, I'm like, I, I don't know. I have zero idea how any of this works out. I'm sure mm-hmm. on a reread, it's like, ah, uh, yes, the plot of book six. Here it is, you know, or whatever. I, I, I will say there is some stuff that... I'm sure there's some stuff that's I, like going to happen this book and some stuff that is like seed planting for a while but later. Well, what I mean is I think there's some stuff through that I, looking back, reasonably think, oh, I guess I could have put the pieces together if I tried, you know. 
But honestly, this jade statue thing is so... There's just no way you... I, like, Thank God. I, mean, Thank God. I can't wait to talk about it. Okay. So, the only thing I know, have God is, bless. is with the Thanos Spirit Walker, if I remember something, it's like songs are cyclical, right? Mm. Only thing I have is it, it. we do, in fact, have one singular bridge burner who is currently doing a walk through the desert, and that is Fiddler, you know, as part of an army. We also have uh, Kalam going through the desert, as you know, he doing his own thing. My my best guess is that the two of them going through the desert again, maybe in some way that completes the song. It's a it's you know, it's a redo of that initial thing. Mm. And like once they've done something, the bridge burners will become ascendant or some fucking bullshit. I don't really know. That's as good as I got. Well, you should cut out my shitty point, AJ. That was a great point <laughs> for me, Josh. So yeah, that's a inch. Yeah. How did uh? How did, did how much of this kind of sounds like Josh got some nothing. of it? How did how much of this? No, nothing. nothing. I didn't. Uh, India, hey, India, I didn't get that in the read. I got that looking through it right now. Like, huh? Like, I, in the moment, I was just like, "What the fuck are you saying?" Also, again, Steve, fucking Haboric. You know who his new best friend is? Horic. Fuck that! Oh my god! Why? Why? <laughs> Why does he do it to us? <laughs> it's the same thing when when uh, when we met Cuddle. I was like, "Ah, yes, Cutter." Wait, no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We got Cuddle, we got Cuddle, we got Lord, we got Habor. There's like, any name why? that you could ever think of, ever. I can't wait until we meet Barca we got, for long. We got, we got Thelemin. We know we got Thelemin and his best friend, Leoman. Just both <laughs> ending in men. Like, so, uh, okay, and so I, I get you. I feel y'all. So, and finally, the last part of this chapter, we come to Corblo Dom, who's in his tent being a scheming I'm done uh, with him. Thing. He needs Boy. to die. Fuck this dude. Go ahead, PB. What's the what's the question? Well, what do you think? Uh, what do you think? What, how do you feel like his master, him and Camus Rilo's master scheme? What do you think the future for them is? They are going to fail. And I don't, it, it, it's just so outlandish that they believe that the, the pieces that they have said are going to fall. And it, like, this, no, this guy's going to kill this person. And this person's also going to kill this person. And this person's going to kill this person. And they're going to be like, oh my God, you guys killed this person. Let's go to like, let's reward you. And then we'll kill her. And then we are going to be like, what? Like very overconfident, very, very half baked their little plan. And I don't know. I, I don't know who's going to stop them or how, it's, but it just makes, it's just so stupid. And I think it's you, so, I, oh, it's just ridiculous that they see such a long game there. They just, they just know that this is how it's going to happen. I want to, I want to hop in here. Are we familiar with the Peter principle? And I didn't know it was called this until I Googled it just now. And I find <laughs> it fucking funny that it's called the Peter principle. Tell me the Peter principle. So I feel like this perfectly describes fucking Corporal Dom. The Peter principle is the, uh, the concept which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to their level of incompetence, meaning eventually they are competent and eventually that leads to them being th placed somewhere that is wholly outside of their realm of being able to do it in many ways i feel like that's corbelo dom because like he got to fist and he's like or high fist or whatever and now he's like i should be the emperor and it's like <laughs> you fucking Why? crucified an entire army You're and fucking middle management yeah, yeah. Dom. <laughs> at, best, at best you are assistant to the regional manager corbelo dom like that is as good as you are getting um Aj, do you have anything you want to share about the whirlwind or these chapter this chapter i loved the the Bayroth and Dellum moment. I do, uh, and I, I do want to clarify. I don't think uh, we're meant to think that Carsa is now a good person because he's like definitely not. Then why? I just, better. 
he's better he's not like raping and killing people uh i mean he's still killing people but why what and like then i just i just thought it was such a sometimes when we read things in chapters that are 200 pages long i wonder why did we add this and that was one of those moments but everyone else liked it Mm -hmm. so i think i'm just wrong (laughs) no i think i just like to see i think i just like to see um people being friends uh i I don't know i think i think the moment where he (laughs) well first when he makes delam and bayroth their their you know statues i think it's just like we're meant to see uh karsa kind of reckoning with his past and 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 he reckoned with it earlier in the book but i think seeing now that it is still with him like that bayroth and delam and and the lead me war leader and stuff has still stuck with him over the i don't know how long has it been since the end of the beginning of this book Forever. sometime sometime yeah i don't know i i, I just think it it shows that he is carsa is, is now a reflective person uh as opposed to kind of a i guess reactive uh and not really reacting to the world around him and, and more kind of being more insular and thinking about what his place is as opposed to like mm-hmm. or what his place is in a different way you know yeah my final question is how are they actually in this statue is well, it because magic or... Yeah, because magic, it sounds like. <laughs> okay. Well, that's because he made fair. them look so good. Um, Their spirits lingered, and then they were like, damn, I look fucking fine as a statue. Let me <laughs> yeah, this. I would love to be a mini statue. Oh, also, I just love, like, it, is he actually talking to them? That's what uh, I yeah, he could, he, yeah, yeah, he could just be fucking crazy. That's Who what knows? I think. Right? Yeah, I, honestly, that thought I didn't even cross my mind. I my friends, and yeah. they totally forgive me for me getting them murdered. <laughs> Oh, I didn't think of it like that. Thank yeah. you. Shit. Exactly. Wow. That th- Damn. So what's the yeah, fucking Pete. point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that... like, uh, I guess we'll talk about it. Statues <laughs> don't fucking All right. talk. Let's, uh, let's keep things moving and talk about our last chapter here. Chapter 11. Gamut walks the Tavor through Coltane's Fall. The site of the slaughter has become a site of pilgrimage for tribes across seven cities. Gamut informs her that although the Crow clan has joined them, the elders refuse to accept young Temul as their leader. Fiddler and Gessler speak of faith in commanders and observe the fetishes hanging from the trees outside of Eren. The 14th have raised the standard of a figure grasping a bone before a standstorm. Fiddler then thinks of his squad and the mages of Mianus in both his and Gessler's squads. Tavor tends to her otateral sword alongside Gamut when the Clawmaster Topper joins them to bring word of the losses on Genebacus. Bottle, elsewhere, magically eavesdrops in the conversation and thinks back to his grandmother's counseling to him to seek a deeper power. Fiddler and the others are found by Bottle, and Bottle shares news of Whiskey Jack's death and the bridge burner's end. Fiddler leaves to grieve alone and finds the young Wiccan leader, Temul. Temul is frustrated with trying to gain control over the Wiccan. He speaks to Fiddler about Coltane's and Diker's end. Topper ends his report by speaking of Perrin's death and Dujek's army. The High Fist will come to Seven Cities, but with a small, broken army. Topper leaves and Tavor speaks briefly before going to find to Amber. Filler returns to camp and speaks with the older sapple Cuddle. They speak of Hood and what makes a good army. 
Together, they agree the adjunct of ore is made of cold iron. And they ought to find it in themselves. So, Inge, uh, we check in with Tavor again, and, and we're kind of checking in as the 14th Army learns really what happened at Ganabacus. And first we hear it from Tavor, Topper, Gamut's point of view, and then we check in with Fiddler and uh, the kind of the soldiers later on. So first, how did you feel about Tavor hearing this news, but also before she sees Coltane's fall and see how the site of Coltane's slaughter has kind of become this pilgrimage site? So how did you feel about those two things with the, t- the adjunct? Um... I love Tavor's character. Um, I I felt like what the Genabacus thing was. I just feel like she must feel so inferior and out of the loop, um, just mm. because so many huge things happened, and there are so many people who are seen as obviously like very important. They're creating entire like I don't know like pilgrimages for Coltane or whatever. Mm. Um, and she, yeah. I just feel. At this point, she must, she feels very, like she's just never, like she's never going to, to have that herself. Like everything that she's doing is just in the shadow of someone else. And she's mm-hmm. never, and, and I think that for her is hard because she's trying to make her own name here. And it's just so clear that all, everyone that followed, that she has now taken ownership over is like deva- devoted to others. Um, mm-hmm. So with that said, I thought that this was that this whole pilgrimage thing was just like it's, how much more does she need to hear about this whole situation? I mean, I guess she needs to hear a lot, but I feel bad for her. I feel like she is stressed out and one and and just trying to make a name for herself and to win this thing and to be something important because you know it's hard out here being a woman leader. Mm. And she hears about her brother's death, so it's like. You know. What brother's death? These these people with the news from Ganabacus, Perrin is reported as dead. Yeah, because remember, but... they, uh, Dujek makes a point to like list all the bridge burners as dead. Yeah. It was a spy in the army that told the yes. whirlwind group that they were alive. Oh. Yeah. So Felicin knows he's alive. <laughs> but Tavor thinks he's dead. Damn, yeah. These siblings are far flung. Mm. And, oh man, I felt, Tavor felt so bad for Felicin because she was like, oh, Heron redeemed us. And I was like, you don't feel bad because you fucking sent her into slavery, you asshole. <laughs> there was one part in this in this chapter where Gamut was like, hmm, maybe we didn't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so pissed. Josh, how'd you feel about seeing this Tavor stuff? We talked about it briefly, but then the news is really touched in, in from Fiddler and uh, he goes and consoles Temul and he, uh, Fiddler himself, grieves for the lost bridge burners, including Whiskey Jack. I thought it was, uh, I mean... I like Fiddler a lot. I do sometimes feel like we have not gotten super duper deep into him. Like in book two, it's a lot of him being like, fuck me, I'm the only normal one here. You know, and this one so far, it's kind of now he's like the opposite. He's like the competent guy. And so it's very nice to see him have like this, like, you know, very emotional moment. And uh, I mean, it was very powerful for him to like in the middle of that emotional emotional moment to just like console this boy Tamil and, you know, work through his own grief as he's trying to help this guy, basically this kid. I thought it was really nice. I, I think Fiddler is one of my favorite characters, and this scene only cements it. Um, I love the scene with Temul. Not only is there an, an intimacy there, but I also think Temul can stand in for Tavor in a way, as they're both young, untested yeah. leaders. Very you know, true, there's a real true. parallel there. Um, I also want to really want to quick talk about Bottle. I found sure. Bottle. Bottle is a is such a. 
I don't know. Like, I feel like there is a chance that we are going to that like the characters we're meeting right now are going to be very important. But as I said before, until they last more than like half a book, I don't learn their names. Mm. Um, but Bottle instantly, he, you know, he's just like he only has like I just checked like half a page, but that's all he needs to be like remembering his grandma talking about the old ways and how he's just like basic. It sounds super similar to what Nil and Nether do, you know, when they like call mm. upon the life force of an area or the ancient spears. It sounds like related to that. You know, he says he's like riding the wings of grasshoppers. Mm. I was like, love that. Well, uh, I just want to say I'm a big bottle head. Love bottle. So I'm, I'm, I, I love yeah. seeing into him and I always love hearing from that character. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I've, I've learned since book three when I thought Picker and Blend wouldn't be important. And then they fucking were super important. Yeah. Also, I just want to shout out Topper is a character that doesn't show up that often. And like, we don't know anything about but it's a great name. Topper is just a great name for a character, especially like a big wine drinking spy master, you know? Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, Outer Banks? Oh my God. I watched the first episode of Outer Banks. I could not stand <laughs> that it. Looked, that looked like teen bait. It looked like 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 teen, like, hey, teens, watch this cool show. There is a character it. named Topper on that show. Is there a different connotation? No. Oh, yeah, it okay. definitely sounds like a sex thing. You yeah, know? it sounds like you're leading to a sex thing. No, it's thing. his real name. He's just a, a rich young man. Well, I would say in real life, if I met someone named Topper, I, I, I don't know. That's it's out there. I don't recommend it. Okay, okay, back on track. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it would be the only thing I could think about like, the whole time. I'd just be like, your name's Topper. So AJ, at the end, we, uh, they, they say some big things about Tavor and the army trying to find some strength within them. But we're coming to the end of book two, right? So book one really introduced Karsa. And then I, we talked a little about last episode that we felt like this book was actually like reintroducing all these characters and like set actually the start of the book in a way. It was like setting back up where we are in Seven Cities. Mm -hmm. So now that all the Seven Cities pieces are kind of put into place and we kind of understand where what everyone's doing, what are you looking forward to and what are you expecting in the second half of House of Chains? Uh, honestly, I... Just want more of what Carsa's doing. <laughs> I, I, I just want to see how that story plays out and see what happens with him heading west to get this big, big horse. I, I think I'm I'm really excited to see what like the individual storylines are going to do. Like, I want to know what what's going to happen with Kalam. I want to know what's going to happen with Cutter and, and Absalar. Uh, like, I'm not super interested in, in the the bigger like I'm not interested a whole lot in like the conflict between the uh Malazan and the rebellion like mm. that's gonna happen and like sure cool neat but like i want to know what cars is going to be doing with his big horse i want to know uh what kalam's going to be doing and like what what's happening with cutter and stuff and and on rack and troll like all the smaller stories is what i'm interested in inge what about you where your eye to going into the second half of the book oh my god i want to know my most my most pressing thought is why are Haboric and fels and younger going away together and what are they going to find and right. are they going to find something crazy and i'm excited about that um so i'm looking forward to finding more out about their journey i feel like what's going on with those fucking jade hands yeah is gonna be really uh, works just the best boy he's mm. he just has a lot of secrets going on and i want to know what they are so I'm looking forward to seeing if there's some kind of game-changing shit that happens there. And Josh, what about you, finally? 
I think I'm most interested in the Cutter story because it is the one I know absolutely nothing about. But I feel like I feel like th- we're going to learn some game changing shit on this weird ass island that they're on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I'm at. I think secondly, Carson and his big horse. Very, very good. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Uh, I don't really care much about Kalam's story in this book, I think, so far. Mm. Um, he's going to have to really win me back, you know? Well, it's tough because uh, I think his purpose is so shrouded right now. Yeah, that's my, yeah, that, I mean, that's why. I'm sure in later books, or I'm sure if I was rereading that, I'd be like, oh, I knew where this is going. But I, I got nothing from him. I don't really know where Leoman's going. Couldn't, you know, don't really care about that. So I think mostly Cutter and Karsa are where I'm hyped to see. Oh, I forgot. Uh, also, um, Lestara Yil and Pearl. I'm I'm, oh, yeah. I'm all in on that duo. <laughs> oh hell yeah! This yeah. is a lot of threads. I'm, I'm curious to see. Sit- I was just, yeah, Josh. It is a lot of threads. I'm curious to see how all the Coltane threads come together at like one pivotal moment in this book when they're all like, "Yeah, we're all working for Coltane." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys, mean Cotillion? Cotillion, yeah. Cotillion. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, it's just a lot to keep track of. How do people read this without doing a podcast where they get <laughs> to remember all the shit that happened? And truly, dude, you're telling me. I feel like. Honestly, I feel like this second time through has been. It's is first off, it helps already having read all the books, and it's, <laughs> really? it's very clarifying to then also like write summaries and talk about it. I feel like my comprehension is just greatly increased because of it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, that's uh, that's all for us uh, for this episode, and uh, of course, uh, tell a friend about the show. Let us know what you think about it. We're at ten very big books in Gmail and Twitter, uh, and. Uh, Thanks for listening. Woo! Hello, everyone. Producer AJ here after a long day of multiple recording sessions. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast, and big thanks to everyone who has backed the Patreon. Uh, as of this recording, we are only a few patrons away from hitting 100 monthly patrons, uh, which is just crazy. We are blowing through all of these milestones. Uh, thanks to you all. Before I get into the rest of the regular credit stuff, I just want to take a moment to shout out how good Steve is at writing about grief. Uh, I kind of brought this up in the last episode, talking about Haboric consoling Felliston, uh, but this time our POV character is the person actually feeling the grief, uh, talking about when Fiddler hears the news of the bridge burners at Coral. Uh, I'm just going to read a little excerpt. The curses grew more elaborate, along with postulations of disbelief, but Strings no longer heard them. His mind was numb as if a wildfire had ripped through his inner landscape, scorching the ground barren. He felt a heavy hand settle on his shoulder and vaguely heard Gessler murmuring something, but after a moment, he shook the man off, rose, and walked into the darkness beyond the camp. He did not know how long or how far he walked, each step was senseless, the world outside his body was not reaching through to him, remaining beyond the withered oblivion of his mind. It was only when a sudden weakness took his legs that he sank down onto the wiry, colorless grasses. Uh, And finally, the ending of this section of the chapter. Strings watched him ride into the darkness. He sat motionless on the boulder for a time, then slowly lowered his head into his hands. I think this is just such an accurate depiction of what it is like to have someone you care about uh, just suddenly not in your life anymore. Uh, The emptiness followed by the dawning realization that you'll never see that person or those people uh, ever again. It's just like really, really, really impacting stuff. 
<sighs> okay, uh, now that I have sufficiently brought the mood down, uh, if you'd like to check out our Patreon, you can visit the link in our show notes or head on over to patreon.com slash 10verybigbooks. There is a great public post on there that explains exactly how we want to use the money we're making. Uh, and so th- if that interests you at all, head on over and give that a read. Of course, you can always tweet us your thoughts and feelings about the show at 10verybigbooks. You can email us 10verybigbooks at gmail.com. And you can also join our Discord by heading to bit.ly slash Discord. That is capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. The link will also be in the show notes. And as always, thank you so very much to Dan Gezerick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Gezerick for some Overwatch League tweets. Go Fuses. And of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is by the one and only Amaranthin from their album Simulant Rain, which you can find along with their other music on Bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes and 10 very big books. We'll be back in two weeks on August 28th talking about House of Chains Book 3 the whole thing. Get ready for a chunky episode. Talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening. You get one take on this word. If you fuck it up, I'm never letting you live it down. Oh my god. Chapter 10. <laughs> In Ron- Nine, no, you chap- fucking idiot! <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mean, Josh. I'm sorry. I didn't think that was the word he's gonna fuck up. I really thought so too. I was like, it's a fucking easy word. What, I'm gonna fucking fuck you, Josh. Like, I'm just... <laughs> let's all go home. All right. You got this, buddy.